Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And good morning. Welcome to another edition of Healthy Matters. We mentioned a moment or two ago, open lines today. That means uh, your phone calls and text messages for uh, Dr. Hilden, your host. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Good to see you, Danny. It's a fresh morning. Ten. It's crisp outside. <laughs> it's it, it's getting a bit chilly, yeah. as they as we like to say. But you wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade for anything. Maybe so, for Maui. Yeah, maybe for, for Maui. <laughs> I'm gonna be going there for a while, just for a few days uh, later in the well, month. I'm to you. Get, I'll be That's giving great. some lectures. I'll be in I'll be in Hawaii. Uh, I haven't been there in only once in my life. That's coming up in a few weeks. Doesn't matter to listeners. I won't miss any shows. I'll be here. Good. That's good. Uh, Again, uh, for those that are new to the show, the, when we say an open line show, we're not talking about any particular topic. So uh, call in your question if it's about you or someone you care about, uh, 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. That's the text number. Uh, both apply, 651-989-9226. I always like to ask you this, this time of year, is it still time to get a flu shot? Yeah, it is, Danny. Um, I, I noticed a box of Kleenex here uh, here in the studio. It reminds me, I got up this morning, and I must have sneezed 15 times in a row. But that's allergies. So people are always wondering, you know, what's allergies, what's flu, what's a cold? You can tell them apart. And uh, allergies are just sneezing and itchy eyes, and I feel fine. Other than that, um, a cold, you have a little bit of head congestion. It's usually above your neck. Everything's above the neck. Maybe a little bit of achiness, but... You've got some stuffiness, you got some sneezes, maybe a little cough, maybe a scratchy throat, and a, maybe a very low fever that kind of sneaks up on you. That's a cold. Flu is none of the above. Flu hits you quickly, hits you over hours even, and you have a fever, usually 100, 101, 102, 103 even. And it hits you really hard, really fast. You have a cough. You have um, achiness throughout your body. It's not limited to your upper chest and to your head. A flu hits you all over. You're laid up in bed. You're not just going about your business, doing your shopping, and and going to get groceries with the flu. Like you might be with a cold. Um, there was an interesting article uh, in in um, one of the national papers that I that it just came out today, even that I had seen just the beginnings of. So I haven't had a chance to read it all. But it talks about the probability of bad things happening with the flu and with other vaccines. Because people often say, well, there's, there's side effects to the vaccines. And, and in reality, there are. There are side effects from every vaccine. Not only that, not every vaccine is, effect, is really perfectly effective. In fact, the flu vaccine is probably 40, 50, on a good day, 60% effective. So why do I stand here and tell everybody to get all these vaccines? They have side effects and they're not perfectly effective. Well, the alternative is much worse. So if you take the flu, your chances of getting a side effect from the flu vaccine are something like one in a, a, a lot. Um, one in thousands of chance of getting the smallest little thing from a flu shot, and it's usually just a little local reaction or a little local, little um, short-lived um, illness from it. Your chances of getting the flu are much higher, much higher. And your chances of dying of the flu are much higher. And sadly, there's been a 20 kids or so 
children who have died this year from the flu in the United States, although very fortunately none, none yet in Minnesota. So your chances of really bad things with the flu are way higher than your chances of any of these side effects. So if you're an odds-playing person, if you like to play uh, blackjack or if you like to do a little, you know, play slot machines, your odds are way higher of something awful happening. If you don't get the vaccine, if you want to be the be the safest bet, it's always to get your vaccines. It's not too late to get the flu vaccine. Uh, it is getting later in the season than is ideal. We would prefer you got it in October or late September, but it's still not too late. It still will give you some protection. One thing I do want to point out, one of those children that's, in the, that's also in the newspapers just this weekend, um, there is a small child in another state who is um, blinded from the flu. She's literally blind mm. because she got an infection in her head. And her parents are encouraging people to get the flu shot. That young child had not got the flu shot. So um, make sure it, it's not too late, but next year, maybe get it a little bit earlier. You need to get the flu shot every year. It's not one. That's what the small child who was unfortunately blinded, their parents didn't realize that, that it's, a, it's not a one and done. You need to get it every year. Okay. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the text number. So if you'd rather send the doctor your text message, do that. 651-989-9226. Uh, let's go to the phones. Patty has been waiting there. Uh, Patty's calling in from uh, Minneapolis. Patty, you're on with the doctor. Hello. Um, I'll try to make this quick. Um, I had major back surgery two years ago, and I've got cadaver bones basically all the way up my lumbar spine. And I've, I've healed well, and that's all good. The only artifact I have left over is that I can't lay on my left side. It doesn't hurt or anything, but if I lay on my left side, I just immediately flop back over to my back. And what was a problem uh, with this is my PCP wanted me to have an echocardiogram because I had a fast heartbeat, and um, I couldn't stay on my left side, you know, no matter what they did, I'd just flip over. So they got the whole echocardiogram except from the left side of my heart, and everything was good. Um, now she wants me to have it again, and I'm just wondering if um, I have two questions. Number one, um, is there any position they could take an echocardiogram where I wasn't laying on my left side? That's my first question. And my second one, if everything else was fine, really good, well, what are the chances that my left side would be too? All right, let's see what the doctor has to say. So, and um, thanks for your call, uh, Patty. Uh, the, the positioning of your body during an echocardiogram is, is done according to protocol and doesn't make any difference for you. Um, they are getting certain vi- views of your heart. They put the, the, the ultrasound probe onto your chest and on your side and under your breastbone um, in very specific predefined places. And your body position doesn't matter um, for you. It matters for them, so they're getting the right views. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the indication for getting your echocardiogram was. It is a truism that most of the awful things of your heart are independent of your body position. 
In other words, you can have a heart attack in any position. You, if your heart isn't beating strongly, if the muscle is weak, which is what we're looking for, one of the things we're looking for, it doesn't matter what your body position is. There are a few things that body position matters in the heart. If you get an, an inflammation of the lining of your heart, for instance, it does matter what your body position is. But none of this is relative to your echo. You don't need to, you don't need to worry about that. It's highly unlikely that um, what was going on with your line on your left side has anything to do with your heart. Unlikely, not impossible. As I said, there are some inflammatory conditions of the heart that could matter, but highly unlikely. Um, I don't realize, you said that they wanted to get your echo because your heart was racing fast. That's reasonable to look to see if you had atrial fibrillation. But if you already got the echo and they didn't find anything, I'm not even sure why you'd be repeating it for that. So I'm less worried, um, again, over the radio, I can't make a specific diagnosis or a specific recommendation, but I'm less worried about your heart and uh, and the results of your echo. Your second question is, I think it was like, why would I even get that again? Um, I'm pretty sure that's what you were asking, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why your, uh, your, your doctor is so concerned about your heart. You have significant surgeries on your back with bone grafting and extensive back surgery, I would far I think that's far more likely to be causing your symptoms why it hurts to lie on your side. My suggestion is this, Patty, though, since you've been dealing with some heart tests and some unanswered questions, this is probably a reasonable time to see a cardiologist. Just go have a, a one one time visit with a cardiologist and and get their opinion. They can get an echo, they can review or I'm sorry, they can review your echo, not get another one. They can get an electrocardiogram. They can listen to your heart, and they can give you some expert advice. I think that's my my number one tidbit of advice for you is to see a cardiologist. Very good. Thank you, Patty. 651-989-9226. Marsha, you're going to be next when we come back after the break. If you uh, rather ask your question via text, same number, 651-989-9226. In the Twin Cities, partly cloudy skies. We're still at uh, 10 degrees above zero, going for 21 later today. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. Open lines show today. Call us or text us. 651-989-9226 is the number. Uh, Dr. Hillen, we promised Marcia that she would be next here on CCO. And Marcia, the doctor's listening. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. The shingles vaccine, Shingrix. I know it's fairly new. Um, I've been told it hasn't been out long enough to know a longevity. I'm 64 and... I'm debating if I should go ahead and get it now or wait until I'm a little bit older. Yeah, great questions, Marsha. You are correct. It's relatively new. Um, It's not just one or two years old. We're several years into the Shingrix now. I don't know. I want to say like five years, something like that. And it was tested for years before that. But you are correct. How long does it last for your – we don't know. It hasn't been around for 20 years, so it's hard to know. That being said, I wouldn't wait. Because um, it is it is indicated for everybody over age fifty, um, because simply because your risk of getting shingles goes way up at, um, as we get a few years older. At sixty four, you're clearly in the area that's at risk for getting shingles, and so the vaccine is currently a two shot series. You have to get a second one greater than a month or two after the first one. So you get the first one, and then this summer you get the second one. And um, it does cause a little bit of local inflammation, a little – some people say they, they don't feel so great after this shot. It does make you feel a little unwell for a day. But 
it does dramatically, in fact, dramatically reduce your risk of getting shingles. And even if you do get shingles, it reduces your risk of getting what we all really want to avoid, which is the post-herpetic neuralgia or the pain that comes with shingles after you have it. So this, this is one of those vaccines that was almost surprised the medical community at how well it worked. The previous shingles vaccine was pretty good, but it was like most vaccines. It was like half, 50, 60% effective. This thing is something like 90% effective. So it really does work. And the price you pay in a little sore arm and feeling not so great for a day after you get it is probably worth it. Whether or not it lasts a couple few decades, that we don't know. But your risk of getting shingles at 64 is still quite elevated. So I um, And you really don't want to get shingles and then have the pain that results for the next 30 years of your life. So I would recommend getting it now. Okay. Very good. Should we grab a text or two? Absolutely. Let's see what the text thinks. Thanks to everybody for texting in, too. Here's one that says, my wife is going to Austria next summer. Um, does she need any type of shots to go there? Uh, my answer is no, not to my knowledge. Um, Austria uh, doesn't have any particular um, illnesses floating around. Unless it could, uh, Australia doesn't either, but this says Austria. Um, neither one of those places would be places that you um, need to get special shots. In fact, the healthcare system in Austria um, couldn't be much better. Um, but here's the thing I would recommend. For all travelers, if you're going to another place, especially maybe not Western Europe, but... <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe not Western Europe, but almost everybody. Where else? Go get a travel visit at a at a certified travel um, clinic. We have one at at, at Hennepin, and this wasn't intended to be a, a pitch for the one at Hennepin, but I've been there myself. And when you go to a travel clinic visit, they they give you all the information that they have on your country that you're going to. They go through every single thing you possibly could need, all the way down to what's the food safety like, what's the water safety like, and indeed what vaccines you need. And then you can get those vaccines right then and there. Um, Hennepin Healthcare has one. Just go to hennepinhealthcare.org and um, look for the travel clinic. Um, It's a great one. But Austria, I don't think so. The one other last thing I'll say about traveling, even to safe countries like that, are the food and the water, even if you're not getting something uh, um, like contagious through the air, um, like malaria or through a bite of a mosquito, food is always different. The local flora and fauna, the local bacteria and things that are floating around in the water supply might irritate you anyway. So do be prepared for intestinal things, even in Western Europe. And then also you might consider hepatitis A. I All school kids get that now. Hepatitis A comes from food, and you could be at a restaurant that's a little sketchy. You know, then um, a hepatitis A vaccine is maybe the only thing I would consider. But that, that's, that's even independent of your traveling. All adults should consider that anyway. And kind of watch yourself on the aircraft. Yeah, seriously. Your biggest risk in going to Austria is the airplane. Yeah, it's yeah. like a flo- flying Petri dish. It is. Oh, sure. oh, that's going to make everyone feel great. I'm sure. And you'll yeah, probably be sitting next to somebody who's coughing and sneezing <laughs> on you. All I can tell you with that is wash your hands yes. frequently. All right, 651-989-9226. Let's uh, talk to uh, Kay, who's calling, I believe, from uh, New Ulm, Minnesota. Kay, good morning. Good morning. What can we I do have, for you? Um, a number of years back, they found that aneurysm in the aorta, and uh, they 
they, they, my doctor never, you know, had me go on any special medication or anything for it. Now, just last week, they found that I have an aneurysm in the artery in the groin, and they want me to go on a statin drug for this. And I guess my question is, um, how am I going to know maybe that I have more of these aneurysms in the body and exactly what are they and uh should all right those are good questions Kay. um now the aneurysm an aneurysm is a bulging of a blood vessel sort of like a widening of the river because of the weakening of the walls of your blood vessels and um there are some some people have some genetic predisposition. Um, the biggest risk factor you don't have is being male um, and older and a smoker. So the biggest risk factor of all for aortic aneurysms is any man who's in his 60s or older who ever smoked. And I don't mean smokes now, whoever smoked. If you were a former smoker, um, you, you're at the biggest risk. And a, your aorta is the biggest artery in your body. It is the one that leaves your heart from the top part of your heart, your blood goes north. It goes towards your head. That aorta is the size of a garden hose. It then makes a U-turn and goes south down your back all the way down to your groin where it splits in a Y shape into the big arteries of your legs. And the aorta can get an aneurysm in any portion of it. The most dangerous portion is right where it leaves your heart at that arch where it makes a U-turn. Because if that aneurysm there were to rupture, that's life-threatening in a big way. Uh, that's um, very difficult, frankly, to survive. If it, it, if, it, if it were to rupture down lower, like in your belly, well down, um, then it can affect your kidneys or some other things. Um, and if it's down in your groin, like you said, that's probably after the place where the Y is, where it bro- branched off into two arteries called your iliac arteries, it can cause a lack of blood supply to your leg. So we do put people on statins usually, like your doctor has, Kay, to try to um, at least reduce the cholesterol risk um, for your blood vessels. But what I would say to you most of all, which is to answer your what I think what your question was, is how do you know if you're getting more of these or they're getting worse, is to make sure you're seeing someone who understands um, blood vessel disease, probably a cardiologist in your case. I would see a cardiologist and have them do periodic monitoring. Usually that means either a CAT scan or an ultrasound of your arteries, and they do it at defined intervals. If it's relatively mild aneurysm, they might do it every year. If they're bigger aneurysms, they might do it every few months. So see a specialist for that. There are surgical fixes for aneurysms, and that's what you do. You get a surgery to fix them before there's a problem with them. Can you imagine if your blood vessel is getting bulging and it's getting thinner, thinner, thinner because it's getting like a like – a, think of a snake who's eating a – like on those National Geographic shows. <laughs> think of a snake who's eating a rodent or something. There's always a bulge in the snake. That's what an aneurysm looks like. And if that thing – Um, They monitor it, and when it gets to be a certain size, they do a surgical fix for it. So that's what you do. Um, Loads of people are living with aneurysms in their aorta, but there does come a point when they become dangerous. So that's when you're going to want to make sure that you're seeing a specialist. 
All right, very good. Let's uh, go back to the phones and we'll grab uh, some text messages. Uh, Joe is uh, calling from St. Croix Falls. Go ahead, Joe. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. My husband has been on allopurinol for gout for quite a few years. Our doctor retired and the prescription had to be refilled, so we had to go to a different doctor. So the doctor that we went to asked why he was taking it if he hasn't had any spells because he hasn't had any gout, you know, in the feet or anything. Well, probably because he's been on the medication, but we're not sure, of course. So our question is, should he continue it or should he discontinue it like the new doctor said that he could? Joe, you're brilliant, you and your husband. Yes, he, he probably doesn't have gout because he's taking the medication to prevent the gout. I think you're absolutely right. Now, I don't know how bad his gout was when the first doctor put him on allopurinol, um, but typically, um, once you've had an episode or two of gout, you don't want to get another one. Uh, they're bad, and they hurt, and they can cause real um, disabling pain in your joints, particularly your feet, but it can be anywhere in your body. So if you're having problems with gout, taking a daily allopurinol is your ticket. It's the way you prevent future ones. And so I would not stop allopurinol um, unless a doctor um, really truly has looked into it and says, you know what? I don't even know why you were on it in the first place. Maybe mm. it was incorrectly started in the first place. But let's assume that that first doctor put you on it for a good reason. I would continue it. Okay. Very good. Let's uh, grab a text or two before we break. All right. Here's some text. Let's go back to earlier. The first one that came in today said, would you please explain stage three chronic kidney disease? Yeah. There, stage three is um, um, we have a staging classification for everything in medicine. Chronic kidney disease can be due to any number of causes, among them diabetes, high blood pressure, problems in your kidneys themselves um, with the kidney structure. So independent of the cause of it, we grade it based on how good of a job your kidneys are doing at filtering blood. We literally measure the how well they do. We do this with a blood test called your creatinine. Creatinine is a, substance, a protein that is broken down from your muscles and it is um, cleared by your kidneys into your urine. If it's building up in your bloodstream, it means your kidneys aren't doing a very good job of the filtering. And so we simply have a cutoff. If, if, you're, if, you're, if the calculated kidney filtration is less than 60, you have chronic kidney disease stage 3. It is um, time to see a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, if you have that. If your creatinine is high enough so that your, your, your kidney disease is into the stage 3 or certainly the stage 4 range, you should be seeing a kidney specialist to see if there's anything you can do to, to slow down the rate of your kidney um, problems. All right, very good. You know, before we break, maybe we could talk a little bit about... Uh, it's Heart Month next yeah. month. Yeah, th- thanks, Danny. Um, next month, February is American Heart Month nationwide. And we're doing a bunch of stuff at Hennepin Healthcare. We have some free events. We have some activities throughout the month of February to help raise awareness and to, um, about heart disease and, and stroke, the two biggies, heart disease and stroke. So we're going to do free hands-on um, or hands-free CPR training. CPR no longer is that mouth-to-mouth stuff that freaks everybody out. It's, um, uh, it's hands-only CPR now that you do. 
We're going to be doing training on that. We're going to be doing a Zumba dance party. And no, I'm not doing Zumba. <laughs> that would make everybody have a heart attack just to see that. But we are going to do a Zumba dance party. We're going to do a show here with Dr. David Fine. He's a cardiologist. We're going to be doing that on February 9th right here on Healthy Matters. So for more information, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash heart month. That's all one word, the heart month. hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash heart month and look for the events coming up in American Heart Association's Heart Month. Very good. We'll take a quick break. We have another half hour of the show to go. 651-989-9226 is the number for either your phone calls or text messages here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. That means uh, you drive the show, your uh, phone calls and text messages. And as you can see, Dr. Hilden, we have a bunch of both. Should I take some yeah, of these texts? Yeah, let's text do that. All right, we're going to hit the text line, then we'll go back to the phones for those of you who are patiently waiting there. The next one on the text line says, I have diverticulitis when I have an episode of diverticulosis. Is it necessary to have a colonoscopy as a follow-up? So diverticulosis are, are little pouches that are in your colon. Think of your colon as a big, long like garden hose. It's five feet long. Um, your small intestines are 20 feet long. A diverticula is any lum. Singular is lum, diverticulum. Plural is diverticula. Diverticulosis is the presence thereof. So if you have these little pouches, sometimes they can get inflamed and bleed and hurt, and then it becomes diverticulitis. whole bunch of you listening have diverticulosis and just don't know it. I might. I don't know. You never know. Hmm. Um, it's You're kind of born with them. Why do some people get them? Most people will live and die their normal lives and never know they had them because they never had a flare-up of an episode. So for this texter who sometimes get flare, flares of, of them where they get inflamed, they can be dangerous. If they were to rupture or perforate, that's dangerous, and they can bleed. So often you do get a follow-up colonoscopies. If you haven't had one, you don't need to get a follow-up after every flare-up of your diverticula, um, but usually you, you've had one or two in there. And usually what you do is if you're getting flare-ups, it might be time to talk to a surgeon. The, the, the definitive solution is to cut out a little portion of your bowel so it quits flaring up on you. But, yes, you should have at least had one um, colonoscopy, maybe not after every episode. Here's one that says, good morning. What is a normal hemoglobin? I am an... I am an every 56-day platelet and whole blood donor. I have to take additional iron a few days before in order to be higher than 12.5 to donate. I'm female, 145, 140 pounds, 54 years old. First of all, whoever you are, texter, thank you. This is a person who every 56 days donates her blood and platelets. And as one who is a user of all of those blood and platelets, in other words, not me personally, but I order them all the time, you are helping more people than you have any idea. You think you give a, don- a unit of blood when you go donate blood and you're helping one person? Oh, no. They take your blood and they divide it into a number of, of different components, and you are helping so many people you just have no idea how important that is. So thank you for doing that. Your immediate question, what's a normal hemoglobin? For women, if you're in that 12.5 range, you're good. Men, it's usually a little higher, like 13.5. Many women live slightly lower than that because of monthly menstrual cycles. When you get postmenopausal, that's a little less of a problem. But it's, um, um, I have many women are in that 10 to 12 range, but that's low. We'd like to see it at least in the high 11s or preferably in the 12s for women. So that's why they're having you take iron because it, there is some strain to your body um, donating blood every 56 days. All right, let's go back to the phones. I think Chip in St. Paul has been uh, waiting there. Chip, what is your question for the doctor? 
Yeah, I have a question. I've started noticing that um, the doctors that I see are using scribes to record what we're doing, and sometimes I find that somewhat intrusive, and it seems like it adds more money to the already cost of increasing cost of health care. Um, is this a common practice everywhere, or could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Chip, what a great question. Thank you for that question. Yes, scribes, um, the, my first reaction is probably a cost savings to health care. Um, the person who's the most expensive person in your room is your doctor. You would want to have them spend most of their time with patients, um, ordering tests, talking to patients, evaluating those tests. Um, most evidence suggests that your doctor spends more than half, maybe as much as three-fourths of her day or his day on the computer um, typing, 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 typing. I spend half my day typing into electronic health records. That is probably, and I'm an expensive typist. So is your doctor in your clinic. So one solution is to have voice recognition software. Many people, many places, including my own, do that, where the doctor can talk into a phone and it automatically transcribes it into the electronic health record. Other places um, use um, old-fashioned transcriptionists, but many use scribes. Usually it's a um, junior-level person who's a fast typer with a, a, a little bit of medical knowledge, but not a ton. Their job is like a court transcriptionist. Type everything you see or you hear. Do it very accurately. Do it with some medical knowledge. But, um, and then when your visit's done, the doctor can simply review what was the note is, and in 15 seconds can, your visit was documented. So it takes your doctor 15 seconds to document that, that visit as opposed to 10 minutes. So it's a huge cost savings to the, to the system to have scribes in it. And physicians are among the most burned-out profession. Um, I don't want people to you know, feel like, well, woe is me, you're a doctor, get over it. But physicians are among the most um, at risk for mental health problems. They're at the most risk for substance abuse. They're at a very, very, very high risk for suicide. Um, um, so it is a, a, a highly stressful profession, and scribes have been one of the things that have shown to make the, the daily grind um, bearable for the physicians. So how does it affect you, though? Your point is a good one. Is it good for the patients? Well, that's another whole question, <laughs> um, and it's a legitimate question. It might be a little weird to have some college kid in the room with you. That is 100% legitimate. And so I don't have a good answer to that other than to say you're right on the money, Chip. It is, I, I could see why that wouldn't be as good for the patient um, to have some Usually it's a college kid. Usually it's a pre. It's usually it's somebody who wants to be a doctor one day and is getting some experience. Uh, but I, th you should talk to your doctor when the scribe isn't present, um, and and say, you know, that doesn't make me quite as comfortable. Can we not use that scribe? And if they shouldn't force that on you, you should be able to say to have that choice because when it gets right down to it, it's up to the patient. So that's a super good question. I wish so much that there was no need for such a thing as a scribe. But that whole, your doctor spending six hours of her day on the computer is a reality. And that's what it's intended to address. Super good question. We talk about it all the time in healthcare, And you have brought up a great question, uh, Chip. So I appreciate that. All right. Thank you for the call, Chip. 651-989-9226. And we have a bunch of text messages. Too. Indeed we do, Danny. Here's one that says, can a flu shot cause Guillain-Barre syndrome? Um, yes, um, it is the one known, well, not the one, but it's the one that we talk about the most. It is exceptionally unlikely 
that you're going to get Guillain-Barre syndrome. But the answer is yes. That is a one of the possibilities with a flu shot. The problem is I don't know the numbers, but it's like a thousand times more likely you're going to get the flu than you are going to get Guillain-Barre syndrome. So the odds of dying from the flu are way higher than the odds of getting Guillain-Barre syndrome. But what is what is that? It's a neuropathy. Um, some people called it French polio. It's a it's a neuropathy. It causes these um, uh, uh, a dysfunction of your nerves in your body, um, uh, mostly in the arms and legs, and and so it's a real thing. It can cause a peripheral neuropathy that that is persistent. So it is a real thing. We have to be honest about that. It's just that it's very unlikely. Okay. Um, do it. Let's see. I'll do another one of sure. these here. It says. Um, if flu shot is so important to kids, then how come there are none available for kids allergic to eggs? They just say, oh, okay. Um, the egg allergy is way overblown, way, way, way overblown. Um, most people, even with egg allergies, can still get the flu. Um, but make sure you bring it up and talk to your physician or other provider about it because some people have very severe egg allergies. The reason being, and the, the person has, brings up a good question, why do we have to have this egg allergy? Because most flu vaccines are grown in egg protein. They're literally grown in eggs. And this is an old technology, but it's a really good technology. It works. But the egg proteins could get into the flu vaccine, and therefore you're, you could have a cross-reactivity. I would say the number one thing, if you're worried about egg allergies and flu, is to call not your doctor. Don't call the drug companies. Call your elected officials and say, hey. Why is this richest nation on earth not putting more research dollars into more modern vaccine techniques? That would be my advice there. I don't care who your elected official is. Call them and tell them that. Um, here's one that says, I am a triage nurse at a call center, the people you call when, uh, when you have a medical question. Um, people call in frequently wanting antibiotics for a common cold. Please speak to when it's a good idea to see a doctor and when an antibiotic is needed. Thank you, thank you, thank you to this triage nurse. Some of the most brilliant people in the world are those nurses you call on a triage line. One of the biggest mistakes of modern healthcare of the last 20 years is giving antibiotics when they weren't needed. The common cold is not treated by antibiotics. Nine out of 10, probably 95 out of 100 times we gave antibiotics, they weren't needed. Um, and in fact, they're quite harmful, not only to the patient that we're giving them to, but they also make them... Uh, we are growing resistant bacteria because of overuse of antibiotics. If you, even for bronchitis, even if your gook, your coughing up is green, even if you have a little fever, you probably didn't need an antibiotic. And the side effects of antibiotics, including a big one called C. difficile infection, are real. So thank you to that nurse. Um, go see a doctor and get antibiotics when it's needed, but don't try to talk your doctor or other provider into giving you antibiotics. You're not doing yourself any favors. All right, let's take a quick break here, inviting our listeners to join in on the conversation. If you have a medical question for Dr. Hilden, call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. Partly cloudy skies. We expect a little light snow late afternoon, maybe less than half an inch for today. One to two overnight, and maybe Monday night another one to three inches possible. Again, right now on CCO, it's 10 above zero. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. The questions for Dr. David Hilden, your host. And uh, as you can see, Dr. Hilden, we have a bunch. Uh, should we, you want to grab a... Uh, let's do that. We, uh, let's, um, let's do that. The phone, phone lines are filled. Anne is calling from Brooklyn Park. Anne, what's your question? Uh, yes, doctor. I have osteoarthritis in both feet. And uh, it's in my whole body, but my feet are bothering me the worst. And I have had cortisone shots in them, which has helped a lot. 
but it's gotten to the point now where I can no longer have cortisone shots. And my doctor says the only alternative would be surgery. I'm 80 years old, and I just don't know what to do. Yeah, great questions, Anne. And, you know, that, there's always this question of when do you do surgery for arthritis? I would tell people who have hip or knee problems you do it sooner because um, – that's so successful at relieving all of your pain from hip and knee problems. Down in the feet is harder um, because, you know, gee, they can mess around with the bones. They can chip away at them sort of, but it's not like they're going to replace your foot. And so it's a harder surgery to figure out, in my opinion. I would do things like I would do the more conservative approach probably. You've done the injections. That's good. I would make sure you're seeing, you're having good shoes I would make sure that you're um, uh, um, doing just kind of that, that stuff, stretching exercises and strengthening. But you might try things like um, uh, massage therapy. You might try acupuncture. Uh, you, uh, those might be of some help to you. You might see a physical therapist who could help with um, – uh, they have some ultrasound machines they can sometimes do things um, with. And then, then there's medications. You might you might need some more medications. I would probably wait till it's just unbearable before I would see a surgeon, and because um, they're they're a little bit more iffy in treatment of foot arthritis. For listeners, she has osteoarthritis. That's the wear and tear. This does not apply if you have something like rheumatoid arthritis. That's a different kind. There are highly effective medications for rheumatoid arthritis. There's just a little less so for osteoarthritis, and that's what Anne's has. Maybe see an acupuncturist. Do that next, Anne. Call me back and see how it worked. All right, good. Maddie's calling in from Coon Rapids uh, this morning. Uh, Maddie, you're on WCCO. Hi. What's your question, Maddie? Um, I wanted to know, my doctor told me I had a slow heartbeat. Does that mean the heart muscle is not strong? No. And I had a question about hypoglycemia. Well, let's start with a slow heart rate. No, it doesn't mean it's not strong, but it might be that the, your heart has an electrical system as well as a pumping system, and the electrical system is a little bit slow. Um, the other Olympic athletes have slow heart rates, and that's because their heart doesn't need to beat so strong so many times. But in other people who aren't Olympic athletes or highly conditioned athletes, it could mean that there's something wrong with the electrical system of your heart. What could happen from that is that you could pass out. You could get dizzy. You could fall down. It's easily treated with a pacemaker, so I recommend you see a cardiologist for that. What was your question about hypoglycemia? Well, someone told me that if it drops too low, you can't regulate it anymore, and then you would die. And it went down to 23 when I had to be fasting for a colonoscopy. And I wonder... Yeah. Yeah, Maddie. What, um, are, what are the best foods to eat for hypoglycemia? It, it doesn't even matter what foods I tell you. You can't let it get to 23. 23 is dangerous. That's not 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 good at all. Um, so so what um uh the colonoscopy was a special situation, but beyond that, if your blood sugars are routinely falling to 23, you just have to see a doctor. Um if they're in the other just because that's not mildly low. That's not that's that's way low. But if they're a little bit low, like sixty or seventy, that's still getting a little bit too low. And what we recommend is a you should be seeing an, either your doctor or an endocrinologist, a blood sugar specialist, like the one I had on last week, Dr. Laura Lafave. She's an expert in this. But what I would suggest is eat frequent small meals during the day of whatever you'd like to eat. 
whatever that is. Um, don't eat a huge, big, huge meal and then nothing for the rest of the day. Eat smaller meals to keep your blood sugars up. But mostly, Maddie, I do have to recommend for both the slow heart rate and the low blood sugars, neither of those is, is particularly um, safe if they go unchecked. See a doctor for both of them. I would do that sooner rather than later. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Red Wing, Minnesota this morning. Larry is calling in. Larry, what is your question? Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, I have, uh, I've read an article or started an article on um, a male between the ages of 65 and 75 uh, that have smoked as few as five packs of cigarettes in a lifetime. Should uh, the federal task force is recommending a test for abdominal... A triple A. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Abdominal <laughs> it aortic it aneurysm. It doesn't come off the tongue very easy. It doesn't, does uh, it? Can you ex- explain that a little bit more, please? Absolutely. And we had a call in the first caller in the first half of the show saying she had an aneurysm. Um, an aneurysm is a bulging in your artery, and the most dangerous kind are the big ones in your aorta. Uh, and um, it is so dangerous that they've identified a group of people who are at higher risk who should be tested for it even if you feel fine. And those people are what you just said, Larry. They are men over the age of 65 who have ever smoked in their lifetime. And five packs of cigarettes is, frankly, the number because five packs of cigarettes equals 100 cigarettes. So we say if you tried two cigarettes in 10th grade in high school and that was it, you're okay. But if you ever smoked five packs of cigarettes in your lifetime and you are a man, and you are 65 years of age or older, you should one time in your life get an ultrasound or a CT scan of your aorta. Both of them can diagnose it and because it's asymptomatic until it's not. And when it's not, it's often fatal. So, um, or at least very serious. So those are your people, men, age 65 or older, who ever smoked 100 cigarettes or more in your lifetime, you get an ultrasound or a CAT scan of your belly to look for um, an aortic aneurysm. That's even if you feel fine. You don't have to keep getting them over and over and over and over. And women can get it. Non-smokers can get it. Other younger people can get these things, but they're just less common. And so that's the only group that it's currently recommended for. Doesn't take that long of a test either. No, and it's non-invasive. It doesn't right. hurt. Nothing like that. And it could be life-saving for you. All right, we have a, a couple of minutes to go. Maybe we can grab a text. Got it. All right. So the next one here says, um, I had my Hip replaced a year ago. Now I have bursitis in my hip. What can I do about it? Is it forever? Thank you. No, they're entirely unrelated. Your hip replacement of your joint is not related to bursitis. A bursa is a little friction-reducing pouch that overlies um, bony protuberances in your body. They're everywhere. you got zillions of them. A big one is over the bony part of what a lot of people call your hip on the side of your thigh, that bony part that kind of sticks out. That's your trochanteric bursa. If it gets sort of um, inflamed from lying on that side, for instance, um, an anti-inflammatory medication like ibuprofen can help that. Injections can help that. And if the, if the, it usually goes away, but it can hurt and it can be persistent over weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, but it's not usually permanent. Um, easy to fix. We have about 60 seconds to go. All right. Do I, let's see if I can find anything here that isn't going to require me to talk for too long here. Um, um, do cortisone shots affect your bones, weaken them, and when you get them on your knees? Yeah, you can get cortisone injections, but you can't get them over and over and over and over. They do weaken bones. They do. Steroids do have a lot of side effects. Um, 
we can't we can't do it over and over and over. So it's it's limited to just a few times per year on the cortisone shots. They can be very effective, but again, they do have a lot of side effects. What's going to be on the show next week? We are going to do another open lines. Today's show was supposed to be about uh, diabetes, but we did that show last oh, week. That's right. So we had to kind of re-juggle um, the schedule a little bit. So um, I will talk again next week. We had a lot of calls, um, and especially texts today that I was unable to get to. So, so could try us again next week? Try us again next week if you want. And everybody, um, thanks for listening to the show. And if you need the primary care doc or see somebody at Hennepin. Yeah, we got we got them all over the place. Um, call us up at 612-873-6963 or as always, go to HennepinHealthCare.org. Your money is next here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Please stay with us. It's 10 above zero. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.